we've been looking at the book of Ephesians, and Paul has walked us through a very stunning experience of what God has done for us since we came to faith. And I've gone through the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians and picked up three items just to refresh our memory of what he's been talking about. In Ephesians 1, verse 4 to 6, Paul says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he, pre- he, pre- he predestined us for adoption to, to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Ephesians 2, verse 4, Paul says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And finally, in Ephesians 3, Paul prays this incredible prayer. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Incredible stuff. It's so stunning. And you wish you were already there. You want to just stay there. But we are this side of God. The kingdom hasn't fully come. So Paul comes down with us back to earth. And in chapter 4, his language changes. From what I've read, which Bible scholars call the indicatives of the Bible, which basically means what God has done through his blessing upon us since we came to faith. And that is what Paul has been talking about in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. In chapter 4, his language changes. From the indicatives, from what God has done for us, to how then do we live our lives to reflect who we are now as children of God. And our text Today is taken from Ephesians chapter 4, reading from verse 17 to 5 to 19. It's a fairly long passage, so I'm not going to read it all at once. We're going to take it bit by bit, but uh, I'm confident that by the end, we would have 
going through the whole text. Now remember, he's writing to believers in Ephesus and by extension to all believers, including us here at Riverside. And Paul identifies two ways to walk. A life before your conversion and a life after you've come to faith in Christ. And it's interesting, when he writes, his opening line in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, it's almost as if he doesn't address them as Christians. He goes all the way back to their pre-conversion. And he says, reading from verse 17 to 19, he said, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Gentiles, in this context, is just anyone who is not a follower of Jesus. But remember, he's writing to believers, followers of Jesus. Do not live any longer as Gentiles do in the futility of your thinking. Now, Paul here is identifying the characteristics of an unsaved person. In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding, their own sake, and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Now, ignorance in this context is not talking about your intelligence or lack of it. Paul here is talking about you coming to faith in Christ. And he says, ignorance here is, if you don't see Jesus as relevant to your life, Paul here describes you as having your heart darkened and living in ignorance. That is what the word here means. So you can be all that you, you are as an intellectual, if you don't have Christ in your life, Paul describes you as living in ignorance. Because you don't have the life of Christ in you. From the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardening of their hearts, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. I mean, these are strong words from Paul, describing the life of an unsaved person. And they are full of greed, that, how, that, however, it's, but that, however, it's not the way of life you learn when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. So it's almost as if Paul said side by side what God has done for us as believers and the life we live free our conversion. And he says, how then do we continue living the way we did before coming to faith? If this is what Jesus has done for us. And he said, in 
chapter 4, verse 22. Put off, therefore, the old self and put on the new self. Put off the way you used to live because you're no longer a Gentile. You've come to faith and God has done something in you and continues to do something in you. So put this new self on. And when Paul says that, put off, put on. I mean, the language he uses is couched in um, this baptismal metaphor. Now, we have baptisms here quite regularly. And normally you come and you are dunked in the water, you go under it, and that signifies your death, the death of the old self, which becomes the story of Christ, and the cross testifies to that. So the old self is buried with Christ, and you come back out from the water in newness of life, together with him, Christ. And his story becomes yours when you come back up. All that he is, you identify with. His righteousness, his wisdom, his everything becomes your story. So, who are we now? Paul goes on in verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your mind, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true, life, in true righteousness and holiness. Back in Paul's day, I mean, they didn't have as many clothes like we do today. So they have their one long gown on, and come the day of baptism, they come with a new pair, a new set of clothing. So when they go into the water and they get wet, the old clothing is taken off, and they put on the new one. So you'll be able to tell straight away, this person has given their life to Christ. But when Paul says, put off and put on, it, it may sound quite easy, but we're not talking here about a behavioral modification, you know, a patchwork, or something which is captured in you trying to just put up a religious performance. No. Something phenomenal has happened to you when you come to faith. God has done something so magnificent in you. So when Paul says put on the new self, he's talking about the new self, which he says is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And the baptism I just described signifies the very thing Paul is talking about. 
is commanding us put off and put on. Now the thing to remember is Paul's exhortations, Paul's instructions, Paul's commands to us always come after the indicative, never before. Our ability to change always comes after what God has done in us and through us. Never before. Otherwise, it becomes uh, a self-effort, a work of the will. But that is not what Christianity is. And I, I would dare stick my neck out and say this. Christianity is not hard. It is impossible without God. If you can do it, it's not Christianity. If Christ in us, our only hope. So when Paul says put off and put on, he's talking about something so, so huge that God is doing in us. He's transforming us. And if we let him work through and let what he's done come forth, then that change, that switch, will be seen by everybody. So he goes on to give us examples of what things we need to put off and what things we need to put on. So in verse 25 of chapter 4, he gives, he gives us a list of the ways of the old self which we need to get rid of. He says in 25, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. So truth must now replace falsehood. Putting off, putting on. Verse 26, in your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Not all anger is bad. That is what a lot of people call righteous anger. If you don't feel anger about the oppression of the poor, mm, something is wrong. But even here, Paul is saying, don't let even your righteous anger dominate your life. I had this joke of someone who said, Oh, if the sun doesn't have to go down on my anger, then I, I think I'm going to get angry at the crack of dawn. Get angry first thing in the morning, so at least I have the whole day to be angry. I hope it's a joke. <laughs> and verse 28, Paul says, Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful for, with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Again, putting off the old self, which is what? Self. And in place of that, be genuine. 
find a job, work, and some money, and bless those who need help. In verse 29, Paul says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So Paul's language must make way for a language of blessing, putting off the old self, putting on the new self. In my personal life, um, I remember as a young student in my final year at university back home in Ghana, it was a rather depressing time. I mean, the country was under a military dictatorship. And for a young person coming out of university, I mean, the outlook was quite grim. So here I was thinking, planning what I was going to do when I left uni. So I came up with two options. Leave the country, and if that didn't work, join the police force. Why the police? I wanted to make money, quick money. And the police force at the time still is very corrupt. If you wanted to make quick money, that was the way to go. But I wasn't safe then, so that was the thinking of the old self. But God heard what I was thinking, what I was planning. And in His mercy, God steered me away from a potential life of crookedness, a potential life of unrighteous living. So after leaving uni, um, within four and a half weeks from having no money in my pocket, I found myself in this country. That in itself was a miracle. And I got saved here. And I can see my life being transformed. I think back to, the, to, to, those, to those days and I'm sometimes embarrassed by it. But that was the way of the old self. And God has done such a work in me that I can see changes in my personal life that God is transforming me as I yield to Him. And that is what Paul is commanding or exalting us to do, to engage with God in what He is doing in our lives. In verse 30 of chapter 4, Paul goes on to say, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And how do we grieve the Holy Spirit? He goes on to give us a list of what things we do that grieve the Spirit of God. He says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. But in place of those things, Paul encourages us to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave us. The opening verses of chapter 5 Paul boldly commands us to be imitators of God. 
be imitators of God. And he identifies three areas. In chapter 5, verse 1 to 7, Paul says, walk in love. He says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But amongst you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person such or, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. I want to just share a few thoughts on walking in love. God is love. And he created us to be loved. It's not something we have. And John the Apostle puts it quite well when he says in 1 John 4, 10, This is love, not that we love God, but that He loved, but that he loved us first and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for sin. I shared a few months ago that we are like the toys sold in toy shops which come without batteries. Those toys will not work without the battery. So you buy the toy and you get the battery separately. So is the case with us as children of God. We come batteries not included. We were created to be loved by our Creator. So when you yearn for love, it's okay. It's part of our design. We were made to be loved. And unless God comes in and loves us and puts battery in us, we don't fully function as we ought to. We are unable to love people like we should. Because it's not something we have. God has to love us and pour his love in us. And it may well be an area we find sometimes quite challenging. Because we live in a very transactional world. Where nothing is free. It's, it's a quid pro quo arrangement. Something for something. You have to earn your way in everything. But it's not so with God. 
Everything we get from God is free. We cannot earn His love. We don't even deserve it. But He gives it to us free. And my encouragement to all of us is He wants to bless us with His affection and love. Let's open ourselves up to receive God's love because it's only after we receive that that we feel that freedom and liberation to go on and love other people and become lovers. Because without God's love first, it's almost impossible to, to obey Paul's command here to walk in love. We need God to love us. The second command to us, in fact, before I go on to that, Paul has some dire warnings to us. And reading that, I, I struggled a bit because we live in this world and we have our individual struggles with this reality of having to live our lives to reflect what God has done in us and through us. But Paul gives us very little allowance for excuse. Because in chapter 5, verses 3 to 5, this is what Paul says. But amongst you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Why is Paul that strict that he gives us no allowance, no room for excuse? I guess the simple reason is this. God is the one doing the transformation work in us. It is not down to us. God is the one doing it. And if God is doing it, He will get it right. And our job as children of God is to cooperate with God, to engage with God. Paul in Philippians 2 said, Work out your salvation. Now what that means is, allow what God is doing come forth. Engage with God. Don't frustrate what God is doing. In Romans 12, he has a similar picture. In the light of all what I've been saying, Paul says, offer yourself to God. Give yourself over to God let the transformation work come forth. He is doing the work. Let's cooperate with Him. Let's engage with Him. Let what He's doing in us come forth. In chapter 8, Paul goes on to say, for us to walk in the light. Walk in the light. 
darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, and this is a quote, Wake up, sleeper, arise from the dead, and, the, and Christ will shine on you. Again, we don't have that light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. In John 8, 12, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So all of us having come to faith have this light of Christ. And Paul makes a very simple comparison between light and darkness here. You cannot see anything in the dark. You can see something only when it is exposed to light. And as children of light, we are to make the dark things visible and reveal them. So we are to shine as the Lord shines through us to expose the evil hidden things in darkness. Jesus said, no one lights a candle and puts it under a bed. So as children of light, we are supposed to give direction and give light to this dark world. So the encouragement and instruction from Paul is, walk in the light, because we have it. Christ has given us that light. And finally, Paul goes on to exhort us to walk wisely, to walk circumspectly. And this is from chapter 5, reading from 16 to 21. He says, be, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise people, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, instead be filled with the Holy Spirit speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs with the Spirit, from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 21, he says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Christ has been made wisdom unto us. So of all the three things Paul talks about, walking in love, walking in the light, walking in wisdom, none of these things we have. God has to give those things to us. 
counted faith in Christ. Christ has been made wisdom unto us. He's become our wisdom. And Paul goes on to identify many, I mean, the features or the characteristics of a wise person. In verse 16, he says, walk circumspectly, redeeming the time, make most of every opportunity. In verse 17, he encourages us, by the wisdom of God, we get to understand God's will for our lives and to avoid drunkenness. And the example he uses here, because back in his day, the pagan, the pagan people will fuel their worship with alcohol, get drunk, and come before their gods and get into all kinds of just unrighteous behavior. But when we come to God, we don't need alcohol. We come and engage with God through worship and prayer. And he encourages us to be filled by the Spirit. Not just once, but to continue, continually being filled. As we keep coming to God, He fills us with His Spirit. And that is what Paul is encouraging us to do. We encourage also to submit one to another. And Christ is our example. Christ is our example. When he wraps a towel around his, his, his himself and washed the feet of the disciples, an act of submission and humility. And that is what we encourage. 